0: <clears throat> well, as we listen for the word from God, we pray. God, the words you speak have power the power to create, the power to disturb, the power to heal. Help us to hear your word for us today. Amen. Now, I'd like to ask if somebody is reading today. know not, on to me? It's on you. Right. <laughs> I'll see if I can find it. <clears throat> so the first reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. From the fourth chapter, verses one through nine. And apparently in Philippi, the church was having a few challenges, and so Paul is writing to encourage them to be one in Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge E. and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, And if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, and keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a part of our story. Thanks be to God. Join me in a brief word of prayer. eternal and loving God. We seek to be as one with you through Christ. And so we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be found acceptable in your sight this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been watching the news lately, it's been filled with yet another conflict, renewed aggression between in the 75-year struggle between Palestine and Israel. It reminded me of the words of a math teacher named Mr. Berry, (coughs) a man who has been a teacher for over 65 years. Mr. Berry was originally from India, and when the British turned over control of the country back to the people of India in 1947, he talked about the violence that they experienced at that time and how his family had finally escaped from India. He shared that there were four major religious groups in India, Hindu, Sikh, Muslim, and Christian. Then he went on to say, and we hate each other. We kill each other. What is the point of these religions? Well, if we're honest, it isn't that easy either, sometimes being the church. We have our work cut out for us, even though we're gathered here in one place. Not because we're all on the same page in regard to our politics or our tastes in music or even how we believe and follow Christ. Our task is difficult. Not because close to 60% of the current generation say they can get along fine without connecting to any church. The true instigator of any congregation's difficulties being the church is Jesus. Our church isn't ours. We don't get to decide with whom we will be church. All of this week's lessons are reminders that the truth about God has always been contentious. Moses meets with the Almighty God up high on the mountain and descends with the commandments that come straight from God. And while he's away receiving God's truth, the Israelites have fashioned gods for themselves. Idols that they worship instead of the true and living God. Yahweh may have delivered them from Egyptian slavery, but that doesn't mean there are not disagreements and contentiousness between them. Throughout the Exodus, there is much bickering in the ranks and resistance to the leadership of Moses. The Revised Common Lectionary today links the closing words of Paul's letter to the Philippians with the story of the Hebrews' idolatry with the golden calf. Paul reminds the church at at Philippi that their ancestors disputed and were divided all the way back to the Exodus. And now in their church, it continues. And in this week's gospel, Jesus tells the story of a master who gives a gracious invitation to a grand feast. But the invitation is refused by those who are invited. So the master, in exasperation, invites to the feast not only the good, but also the bad. What does the realm of of God look like, Jesus says? A feast with both the good and the bad at the table. Contentiousness among Christians. Disagreements about the purpose and mission of the church. Otherwise, genteel and decorous Christians showing their fans. While it's true we live in a combative, quarrelsome age where political divides also afflict the church, it's important to see some of this trouble as an expected spin-off of Jesus's wildly expansive notion of salvation. The Savior who sets out to seek, find, and save the lost. When criticized because of the company he kept at his table, replied, if you're sick, if you are well, pardon me, you don't need a doctor. I've not come for good, respectable Bible-believing, justice-advocating, biblical worldview, holy, living, moderate, sensitive to people's, others' wounds, Church people, I've come for sinners, he said, only sinners. Or as Paul put it to one of his contentious, disagreeing, combative congregations, he might be willing to die for a really, really good person, but he shows his love for us that he died only for bad people. I remind you that Jesus got into all manner of difficulties, not because he refused to be married to a woman, not because of questions about his orthodoxy or his biblical interpretation. The chief charge against Jesus was that he saved those who no one thought could be saved, that no one really wanted to be saved. This man welcomed sinners to Jesus. They accused him in Luke's gospel. Never once did Jesus command us to love the lovable or the lovable and the loving. Never did he allow his disciples to waste time attempting to determine which sin was the worst, or who to ban from discipleship. Welcoming outcasts and saving sinners were his obsessions, and he paid dearly for it. Jesus' determination to save sinners, only sinners, would be challenge enough for us sinners without Jesus' equally determined insistence to put those being redeemed sinners altogether in the church. Because of Jesus' peculiar definition of salvation, we must be saved as a group. His ministry begins with the formation of a band of disciples. Paul then go forth in the world asking the Gentiles thoughtfully to consider his message and then come to a personal verdict upon the truth. Paul went about planning churches, calling them the body of Christ, Christ's bodily physical presence in the world. So if anybody encounters the risen Christ, it will be through the ragtag divinely contrived gathering, otherwise known as church. Christ fervently prayed that all of his followers would be one and commanded us to get along with one another. And yet from the first we've been unable to fully live up to his expectations, having so little in common except our love for him. In the church, Let's face it, we congregate because we've been assembled. And little wonder that from the first, there was disputation, division, and problems with keeping it together as a congregation. In the Sunday's epistle, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he writes some high-sounding theology. But then he says, come to an an agreement in the Lord. Unity in the congregation, agreement with one another, how do we get along like Christians in the church, That's at least a a concern of a third of all of Paul's letters this morning's scriptures from Philippians included. And maybe it's of some comfort to know that even in the congregations cared for by St. Paul, there was from the first difficulty keeping unity in the congregation. And I'm saying that church difficulties with unity and togetherness are often a function of Jesus' determination to save sinners, only sinners and then to put them together in communion with one another in the church. To be honest, the most challenging aspect of being commissioned by Christ is to be gathered by Christ with those whom we have little in common perhaps, other than Christ. And whatever work Christ does in the world, he chooses to do it in concert with the unity uh, with the unruly choir that he assembles. He comes to us, calls us to follow him, sends us out to do work for him together. Christ, the great delegator, the relentless congregator. Salvation in Christ is always as an ensemble. Now, if I'm honest, the hardest part of being a minister is having to work with anybody that Jesus drags in the door. (laughs) And it's okay; you can go ahead and tell me the truth. The tough part about being laity is having to listen to the unlikely ones whom Jesus has called to preach. My fear is that at the last judgment, I'll not be condemned for bad preaching, but rather Christ will say, it's nice to see you, but where are the others that I asked you to bring with you? Division is easy. It's a natural propensity in a culture of rugged individualism and consumerism. Togetherness is hard, And congregating requires empowerment from outside ourselves, not I but Christ lives in me. When Jesus interceded for us, he prayed not that we would bow to biblical authority, we would be orthodox or prophetic, or even that we would be right. He begged God to make us one. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, when you love each other, together. Christ's propensity to congregate his followers, to save and deploy us together, means that you can expect differences and disagreements, arguments and dissensions, in even the most loving and caring of congregations. We should probably be surprised when we're all on the same page about anything other than Jesus. Differences in our congregations can be like giving the result of our trying to be a faithful, loving, caring congregation. And we need to be willing to debate, to listen. And we should expect to be corrected and thereby brought closer to Jesus by a fellow Christian who may or may not be our personal type. How would I have grown and matured in my faith without, being jostling, without the jostling and insight that I received from testy preachers, from contentious congregants, from quarrelsome colleagues whom God used to say things to me that I really didn't want to hear. A congregation has been assigned to such work, such tough work to do by Jesus, that we must be held together by more than cultural, economic, and sociological bonds. We've got to be together on the basis of more than sharing a common culture. There's probably no way we can arrive at a political, ethical, theological agreement that will end our divisions. And that's okay. That's not our reason for gathering. The sole source of our togetherness is that Jesus Christ has come to each of us, called us, commissioned us, and then gathered us together. Here's my ideal church member, that person who is able to love Christ enough to say to me, while I don't agree with you, as best I understand your stance from your somewhat incoherent sermons." Since Jesus Christ has brought us together without giving either of us much choice in the matter, and then commanded us to stay together even though it would be easier to keep to ourselves. I'll keep talking, I'll continue listening and praying that we will grow more committed to Christ together. When it comes to being Christian it's better to be in relationship than to be right. And let's remind ourselves that what we are asking of people when they join a church to believe that there's a gathering more important than their nation, their political party, or even their family. Give money for the needs of perfect strangers. To stay in conversation with those who are put off by their politics. To receive the gospel of God from the hands of another who may not be their type. It's so much easier to leave a congregation than to stay and try to achieve the togetherness that Jesus wants for us. So if we're going to be with Christ, it appears that we must continually find a way to be in congregational <clears throat> togetherness. The courage to congregate is part of the way that Jesus saves each, each of us. In each congregation, the church, yes, the poor old church, has been given the truth about God. God really is in Christ, Reconciling the world to himself, bringing all things together. How? Maybe not exclusively, but certainly primarily through the congregation. Congregations just like this one, and it's life together. So let's show the world that Christ is capable of assembling people who have little in common except Him. Let's love, serve, follow, and work with Christ together, for that is who we are called to be.